Hey, we are relying on Mr. Dave Ramsey in this month talking about life and money and legacy and considering the stewardship of our lives and resources. And as I mentioned, we are re relying on Dave as our mentor for this series. We've uh, started Financial Peace University. It's actually taking place right now over in the chapel. And if you haven't signed up for Financial Peace, it's not too late to do that. It's a good chance to get in there. And beginning next week, uh, you can join the class. It's so valuable, so important. Our goal is to get everyone to take Financial Peace before you're done. So uh, the sooner you get that class, the better your life and management will be. We've uh, chosen this morning as our text from the New Testament Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 38 to 42, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and we will project the words on the screen, of course. We have a custom here to stand, to recognize and honor God's Word as we hear it, so thank you for doing that as you're able. Luke chapter 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. So may God inspire and instruct us today through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, the Bible the Bible's a reliable guide for life. It's, it's good. It's reliable. It's trustworthy with regard to our lives and, what, and our faith, and in particular reference to the issues surrounding money and financial management and business. The Bible is a wonderful handbook. In fact, I encourage all of my business friends to indulge themselves in the Proverbs. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs, and that's good for one every day per month. And I just encourage folks to read the corresponding chapter of Proverbs for that day of the month, especially if you're in business, because it's the greatest business man you'll ever find. And ultimately, what the Bible is, is a love letter. It's a love letter from God. It's a letter of encouragement from God to remind us of how much he cares about us, so much so that he's willing to give us some helpful parameters around which to base our lives and principles to practice. And with regard to this area of management and stewardship and money, it actually works. We've been talking about Dave Ramsey's materials and, and you've heard me muse about this a little bit that J Dave Ramsey is not your common genius. You know, your typical genius is the person who can take complex things and comprehend them. The exceptional next level genius is the guy or gal who can take those complexities and communicate them to the rest of us average folks so that we can understand them. And Dave Ramsey has condensed what is oftentimes considered a very complex and difficult thing to manage, our money and wealth, condensed them to five principles. Let me just remind you what they are. Get on a budget, get out of debt, build great relationships, save and invest, give generously. Get on a budget, get out of debt, build great relationships, save and invest, give generously. Those five principles. Done 
consistently over a long period of time will lead people to an abundant life and a blessed life. Yeah. So here's the problem in today's culture. That all sounds good. And it sounds godly because it's true. It's a, it's a biblical vision. Here's the problem. We now live in a culture. We now live in a society that people who, whether they're religious or not, are criticized for having wealth. If you have, if you have significant assets, there must be something wrong with you. But let's get perspective on that for a moment. If you make $34,000 a year, $34,000 a year, that actually places you in the upper 1% of all wage earners in the world. You make $34,000 a year, you're a one percenter. Now, if being, being a wealthy, relatively wealthy, being rich is evil and bad, you got problems. If you only make $11,000 a year, which puts you well below the federal poverty level, you make $11,000 a year, you're actually in the upper 10% of all wage earners in the world. I mean, if you have a TV, you have a cell phone, you have a computer, and you have a car, you are rich by any world standard. So you understand my point. If wealth is evil, then all of us rich people have a problem because we must be doing something wrong. But I don't think it is. And yet there's this spirit flowing through the land right now that is twisting the biblical view and distorting the biblical vision for what it means to earn and use money as if something has gone wrong. You make $34,000 a year, you're rich. If you make $340,000 a year, there must be something really wrong with you. And that's just nonsense. We've uh, heard this text from Luke chapter 10 where Martha is busying herself in the house while Jesus is there. Let me give you another text. In John chapter 12, uh, the first seven verses there, I want you to see this with me. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary, who's another sibling here, you have Lazarus and Martha and Mary, these, these siblings, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. We are learning from Dave Ramsey and other wise voices in our culture today with regard to this subject of wealth and management and money and legacy, that there are spiritual forces that come to bear on the process as meaningful, well-meaning, godly people attempt to manage their lives in a God-honoring way in this category. And there are, there are spiritual forces that come to bear in the process. I want to unpack three of those spiritual forces today. Just three brief ideas. It's on your outline and I want you to get it because it's, it'll really be helpful to some of us. The first one is this. There is a spirit of pride that can attach itself to our lives when we are considering this subject 
a spirit of pride. Now, the spirit of pride indicates that wealth comes from hard work. Now, let me just make a confession about this point. I am susceptible to this. This is, this is a spirit that can easily get on me when it comes uh, to this subject. I'm susceptible to this pride. I grew up in a household where work was a verb. Do you know what I'm saying? Work was a verb. Work, a verb is an action word. It implies activity. And work in the household I grew up in was a verb. I just preached my, my dad's funeral uh, on this past Monday, and he was a primary example of the work ethic that existed in our family culture, probably because of him. And he has a story uh, growing up in, first in Kentucky at the age of eight years old, out there doing a man's job on the farm. And he worked hard all of his life, and we all kind of picked up on that. And I have confessed to you many weaknesses. In fact, I perhaps too frequently confess my own sins to you, uh, but among them is not the lack of a work ethic. I, uh, I believe that there is cause and effect. I, I believe if you work hard that you'll reap the rewards. That's kind of my worldview. And I'm not one of those folks then who doesn't do any sowing and then step back and say, I oh, sure hope the government planted some seeds so I get to eat someday. That's not, my, that's not my MO. That's not the way I go through the world. That's not my worldview. That's not how I do it. There's this growing philosophy in our culture today. It's getting more and more traction. Uh, it's the political philosophy of socialism, which implies that everyone should be equal and everyone should have the same. And that if you have an, have an abundance, then you should be taken from so that someone who has less should have more. And this whole political philosophy of socialism, as I say, is becoming more and more popular. There are only two kinds of people in the world who think socialism is a good idea. The one kind of person is a political person who lusts for power and control of other people. The second kind of person who thinks socialism is a good idea is the person who is lazy. The person who actually thinks that they should get something for nothing merely because they are alive, breathing air, and taking up space. So as you hear me talk about that and maybe feel some energy about that, you will understand why I'm susceptible to the spirit of pride in this particular area. Now Martha represents this spirit in our stories today. Jesus is actually in her house. You understand Jesus, the physical manifestation of Almighty God, is in her living room. And she is vacuuming and tidying up. He's there. He's in the building, just in another room, and she's doing the dishes. You know, are we a little performance-based, Martha? Have an issue with that? Are we seeking approval and acceptance because of the way we perform? Are you more focused on getting the checklist done rather than relating to Jesus? Performance-based. If I do these three things, then Jesus will love me. If I complete uh, this task, then I'll be acceptable to myself and to others. I personally understand performance-based. 
How many understand performance-based? Now, see, we're all in this boat. We need to read more Max Lucado and other authors who, who write on the subject of grace. We need to learn more about that. But here's what we know. Value comes from hard work. Money comes from hard work. Wealth comes from hard work, so I work hard. I get that. But there's a better perspective. Uh, all of our farmer friends here understand this perspective. The farmer friend knows that you can do everything you can do, and then you have to depend on God to do what you can't do. So the farmer prepares the soil and plants the seed and adds the herbicide and the fertilizer and pesticide. And then the farmer steps back and says, oh, God, if you don't send the right amounts of sunshine and rain. And so there's a dependence there. And so you don't have too many farmers strutting around all pride, prideful because they know, because they live in the reality of the need they have for God. It's there all the time. So those of us who suffer from performance-based acceptance find ourselves quoting the scriptures often, the scriptures that refer to hard work and toil and the sweat of our brows. You know, the Bible actually says those who don't work, neither let them eat. I mean, that's in the Bible. We like to preach that sermon. The diligent prosper and those who manage well a little will be given more. That's all true. There's cause and effect. The Bible teaches that if you're faithful in little things, you'll become faithful in much more things. And it's absolutely true. But it requires the right spirit. The right spirit that recognizes that God is our ultimate source. And that God is the one who supplies our needs. And not our hard work. And not our initiative and not our effort. So we do everything we can do. And then we do and wait for God to do what we can't do. And that's how we go through the world in the right kind of spirit. Otherwise, a spirit of pride can grip our lives and we can lose sight and perspective of the better way. Now, there's another spirit that grips people in this category, and it's a spirit of poverty. Write that down, if you will. A spirit of poverty. Now, in this spirit, it implies that wealth comes from the devil. Wealth is bad. It comes from the devil himself. Now, Judas Iscariot represents this spirit. It's a spirit that suggests that wealth is evil. That spirit is also loose in our land today. It is all around us. And when a spirit of poverty captures your mind and heart, you begin to fear having any more money than is absolutely necessary. You begin to look on others who have an abundance as corrupt or sinful or evil. We have all kinds of, all numbers of politicians right now standing up in front of crowds of people saying, it is an evil system that allows for some people to get, accumulate a lot and for others not to have much. And so we, we are under the influence of this spirit. It is a spirit of poverty. It's not just a worldview. It's not just an attitude. It's not just an opinion. This has spiritual roots. It is demonic. It is evil. It is a spirit of poverty. And people operating in this spirit will speak like Judas. Oh, you could have sold that car and ministered to the poor. You have too much. You, 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 you've acquired too much. There's something wrong with you. And there's so many needs around you that it's wrong, it's evil, it's sinful for you to have such a nice thing when so many around you don't have it. How many wells could have been drilled in Africa with the money you just spent on that house? And so you hear this tone manifested out of a spirit of poverty. So we hear people say, in one way or another, 
money is the root of all evil. And of course, that's not true. The Bible teaches that the love of money is the root of all evil. And that is bad because that is a distortion. But the love of money is what causes the, the pain, not money. Money's amoral. There's nothing good or bad about money. It's just a means to an end. It all depends on the spirit around which you deal with it. Yeah, so therefore rich people are not necessarily evil and poor people aren't necessarily holy. It can work just the opposite. So the spirit of poverty manifests in two primary emotions. I want you to try to identify it because if it's gotten on you, I want you to shake it off. There are two emotions that attach themselves to the spirit of poverty. One is fear and the other is jealousy. Fear and jealousy. I want you to think about that with me. Fear manifests in a couple of ways. One way says, I'm afraid of having too much. Too much. If I have too much, that can become sinful and displeasing to God. If God allows you to have a nicer home or a nicer car and you start feeling guilty about it, that's a bad spirit. Well, maybe God's upset with me, with me for driving such a nice car. Those voices are coming from the spirit, a spirit of poverty. So I'm afraid I have too much. Then fear also manifests on the other side of that coin. I'm afraid that I won't have enough. This is the more logical, more reasonable understanding of a spirit of poverty. I'm afraid I won't have enough. So poverty mentality will cause you to imagine if I give too much away, then I'll never have enough left over. I have a friend who pastors a church and in his church, he has a parishioner there who is worth, his net worth is $1 billion. A billion, that's a billion with a B. There are $1,000 million in a billion. 1,000 million equals a billion. <laughs> so it's a big number. Now it's very interesting because my friend reports to me that this billionaire in his church gives very little financially to his church. And you think, why not? Must not love God, must, must be something wrong with him. No, no, both he and his wife love Jesus. They're fully devoted to Jesus. Here's the problem. His wife was raised in a very conservative family of origin, nothing lavish, everything very carefully managed, very conservative nothing ostentatious. She grew up in a local church that was very, very conservative this way, very careful not to be indulgent. And so this mindset took root in her heart. Today she suffers with a spirit of poverty. She is afraid she won't have enough. She has a billion and she won't let go. And so her husband has to go around behind her back and hand people, you know, like an envelope with a few bucks in it so she won't find out. Because she is terrified that if she gives anything away, there won't be enough left. Now you say, well, that's irrational. That, I mean, that is irrational, isn't it? Well, listen, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about an attitude here. I'm talking about a spirit of poverty. And it gets on people, even godly people and can distort the way you go through the world. 
And I, just, I just want to break it off of you today if you suffer from it. Because the results of this, so that any giving away of anything is done grudgingly. So I'll actually withhold my affections. I'll withhold my words, my affirmations, my praise, my service, my time, my money. Why? All because I'm afraid of never having enough. It's a spirit of poverty. And so fear, being afraid that I have too much, being afraid that I won't have enough, this grips people in the spirit. But the twin sisters of fear is the emotions of envy and jealousy. Watch this now. Jealousy is, I want what you have. I see what you have, I want it. I'm jealous of you for having it. And envy is even worse because envy means that I want what you have, but I don't think I'll ever be able to get it, so I don't want you to have it either. And it's nasty. I mean, envy is one of the seven deadly sins in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. You'll know you struggle with poverty spirit when your neighbor's house or car is nicer than yours and you feel the emotions of envy and jealousy toward them. Yeah. I have an acquaintance. Um, if he walked in the room right now, I could call him by name. He would call me by name. I mean, we're, you might even say we're friends. He has given $70 million away in the last decade for the cause of Christ. $70 million. Isn't that good? Isn't that great? Let me just uh, let you in on something. There's only one way that you can give away $70 million in the course of 10 years, if you have $70 million. It's the only way you can do it. It's the only way you can do it. You may like to. If I had $70 million, I would give it away. This is one problem. You don't have it. <laughs> you don't have it. Only a guy who has $70 million can do it. And, and so when we hear that he's given it away for, for the cause of Christ, we think that's fantastic, that's great. But let's not impugn him on the front end because he actually accumulated $70 million in the course of his life and he did that in a godly way. It's an honorable thing. It's a good thing. It's not bad to accumulate lots of assets. It's a good thing. It's a godly thing. It's a gift of God. It's, the Bible teaches us that it's God alone who gives us the power to get wealth like that. And so, and so we honor that, and it's wonderful, and it's good. We should be celebrating it. Dave Ramsey tells the story of an unnamed friend of his who last year, in one year, gave away $370 million to the cause of Christ. In one year. That's remarkable. We hear that, we go, praise God. Well, there's, listen, there's only one way you can give away $370 million in a year. This guy happens to have a net worth of $3 billion. Well, come on. But the other side of this story is that there are all kinds of people who impugn him for it, who judge him for it, who cast dispersions on his character for it. Well, there's got to be something wrong. Anybody could accumulate $3 billion. There must be something wrong with him. I wonder how many people he ripped off to get that much money. I wonder how many people he hurt on his way up accumulating that much money. So the, the, the spirit of the age, the spirit of our culture is, is obsessed with poverty. Manifest by fear and jealousy and envy. It's nasty. It's wrong. It's demonic. It's evil. It's not, it's not people with a lot of money. 
or nations with assets that's evil in our world. Not at all. It's people who are suspicious and envious and jealous, fearful of that sort of thing that's wrong with the world. So this man worth $3 billion told Dave Ramsey, I get this right from Dave, he said he went out and he said he splurged, you know, he just wondered if he should, but he said, I'm going to splurge and buy a car I've always wanted. The car was uh, worth $130,000. So a guy worth $3 billion buys a car worth $130,000. And so he gets hate mail from Christians, from pastors, from other believers saying, how dare you buy a car worth $130,000? And, and, you know, it's the whole Judas spirit. You know, you could have taken that money and helped a lot of people with it. He's just given $370 million in one year. And he goes out and treats himself to a car worth $130,000, and people judge him for it. How sick is that? Listen, you understand the ratios? A guy with $3 billion goes out and spends $130,000 on a car. That's like you and me going out and buying a biscuit. I'll take two. They're only a nickel apiece. Go big or go home. Do you understand? How much, how much asset God has allowed a particular person or family to accumulate is none of your business. None of your business or my business. We should always maintain a good attitude about it. So here's my point. Don't let the world teach you your theology. Don't let the world teach you what you believe. Learn what you believe about life and about wealth from the Bible. Learn what God says about wealth and the principles that help you accumulate it and the ways that you can do good with it once it's in your possession. And stop listening to the world and all the noise that's gone crazy. In the parable of the talents, let's just, let me just tweak your theology. If you're caught up in the spirit right now, this will mess with you. Jesus told this parable. He said, look, God gave one guy 10 talents and it gave another guy five talents. He gave another guy one talent. He came back later and the guy with 10 had doubled it to 20. And now the guy with five had increased his and the guy with one, he didn't do anything with it. So he gives the one talent back to God. And here's what, and the master, Here, here's what, what the master did with the guy who didn't do anything with the one talent. He took the one talent that the guy had and gave it to the guy with the 10 talents. This is, this is called reverse wealth distribution. Today's political voices say we need to take from the rich and give to the poor. Jesus took from the poor and gave to the rich. And it wasn't about the one, about the one who had the most or the one who had the least in Jesus' mind. It was all about who was trustworthy to manage what they had. And in the economy of God, he doesn't care how much you have or how much you don't have. He's not all about that fair fairness thing. He's all about wondering who he can trust, who he can count on, who he can rely on. And once he gives something to you and he discovers that he can trust you with those resources by the way you live and give and act and react, then he's going to give you more. And that's the whole point of that parable. Manage it well or lose what you have. How's that, go? How's that fit in today's worldview? Yeah. This, this business about fairness, 
equal outcomes. It's insane. It's ridiculous. We're all about equal outcomes. Age, gender, racial quotas, wealth redistribution, all insane concepts, never going to work, never going to happen to everyone's satisfaction. It's never going to be fair. Listen, Tiger Woods is always going to be a better golfer than me. It's not fair. LeBron James is always going to be a better basketball player than me. This is not fair. When you hear that, you go, well, duh. But why is it obvious in, the, in that category? And then we get crazy about fairness. We've got to have equal outcomes. Listen, if you have more than one child, if you raise more than one kid, you know they're not the same. They're not the same. They're different. And their outcomes are different. Their qualities are different. Their, their strengths are different. They're just different. That's why the Bible teaches to train up a child according to their bent, according to their personality and their strengths and weaknesses. You know, customize it to their particular issue. And so with Tiger Woods and LeBron James, they are compensated according to their skill and according to the value that society places on their abilities. Nobody, have you heard anyone say, you know, LeBron James just makes too much money. I can't believe how much he makes. How, that's so evil. Nobody says that, and no one should. It's nobody's business what anybody makes and how God blesses them in that way. Only a spirit of poverty will attack and impugn people with assets. So if you have a spirit of poverty, you're afraid, you're envious, you're jealous, you're angry with someone because they have more than you, listen, shake that off of you. Shake that off of you right now because you don't want to live with that on you. You don't want to live with it. It's not good. Now, here's the last spirit. You want to write this down. And that's a spirit of gratitude. You don't want pride. You don't want poverty. But you do want to be grateful. This is the right spirit. This, this implies that wealth comes from God. It belongs to God. This is a spirit of gratitude, and it's represented by Mary in our stories here. The sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Wealth is God's. It comes from God. Therefore, I'm grateful to God for what he allows me to have. My life is filled with acts of gratitude and worship and generosity then as an expression of that gratitude to God. It's not how much I have. It's, it's understanding to whom it belongs. That's what matters. So in a spirit of gratitude, I make every expression, every practice of my life, of stewardship, a part of my worship to the Lord. It all belongs to him. It all comes from him. And I thank him for what he's enabled me to have. And so I want to honor the stewardship of those resources as an act of gratitude. Now, here's what the Bible says. Mary dumped a year's wage on Jesus' feet. The average income in America right now is about $48,000, around $50,000. is the average income in America right now, $50,000. Now, she dumps a year's wages on his feet. That's $50,000 bottle of perfume in today's currency. $50,000 worth of perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, if you're conversive in perfume, you will know that the, that the more costly the perfume, the more pungent, the more potent it is. 
if, you, if you're aware of this. And so what she did was she bought the really expensive stuff, breaks open the vial, and pours it on Jesus' feet. Pours it on his feet. So the, the Bible says the house began to fill with the aroma. And then just not the house, because this is, this is the good stuff. Then the whole neighborhood starts to fill with the pungent aroma of this perfume. And Judas mouths off. She's, that's outrageous, he said. He could have sold that, given it to the poor, blah, blah, blah. Jesus said, hmm, no, dude. She's preparing me for my burial. This is six days before Passover. Chances are good because of the potency of this perfume that when Jesus went on trial just a handful of days later and went to the cross, you could still smell that perfume. When he was dead and buried, you could still smell the perfume. I suspect that when he rose from the dead three days later and came out of the tomb, I'm guessing you could still smell that perfume. So here's a woman out of an act of gratitude, out of an act of love, out of an act of appreciation for who Jesus was in her life, she gave all of this, this extravagant gift, poured it on his feet for the Son of God in his burial. Spent $50,000 preparing him for his burial. That's a big wow, isn't it? That's a big wow. That's some gratitude right there. Would you say he's grateful? She's grateful? Yes, yes, yes. So a spirit of pride would say what? That's irresponsible. That's irresponsible. Don't do that. A spirit of poverty did say, Jesus, Judas pops, pipes up and says, you should have sold that. So these voices are everywhere. They're everywhere in our world today. They're everywhere in our culture. Pride and poverty are everywhere speaking to us. And I just want to say you need to run those voices out of your life as fast as you can. And by the way, vote them out of office as soon as you can. So when we're grateful, it always leads us to joy and generosity and excellence. Think about it. Gratitude. When you're grateful, it enhances your whole life. It opens your hands, opens your heart. Your relationships get better because you're a joyful person. You're a grateful person. You're a happy person. Your business begins to thrive because people want to be around you, associate with you, do business with you because you're generous, you're joyful, you're open-handed, you're open-hearted. Life gets better in a spirit of gratitude. My wife Beth and I have ordered our lives, especially in recent years, so that when we get to the top of the hill, um, there's not much left. Because as it turns out, are you ready? You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. My dad just died 10 days ago. Do you know how much he left? All of it. All of it. I get a call from my mom yesterday. Would you like to have dad's watch and his rings? 
I guess. You just can't take it with you. It's just stuff. The only thing you take with you are people. The only thing you take with you are relationships. Your relationship with God and the relationship that you forge with others. Someone said, what are your goals in life? Go to heaven, take as many people with me as I can. That's all you're taking with you. So this is just all temporary activity we're talking about. So Beth and I have ordered our lives so that we've been offloading stuff that we accumulated. Wow. In the last few years, you would, it's just unbelievable how much stuff piles up. We just offload it. And so we want to get to the top of the hill and just not, and be kind of unencumbered. It's just easier to climb up the hill when you're not carrying a bunch of stuff. And that's put us in a position now that we can be not only grateful, but we can be very generous. Because we don't owe anybody anything. We have no payments. So it's really nice to be in a phase of life where if I want to, I can leave a $100 tip for that waitress that impressed me and told me the story about her single life and raising that daughter. They just leave $100. Isn't that fun? Or the times I get in the grocery store and there's a young family in front of me and they've got this big cart full of groceries and the mom and the dad are there and the kids are climbing on the food and they're excited about the cookies and all that. And you see that expression on the dad's face because you know he's a, he works hard to earn a way for his family. And he's got that look on his face that says, boy, I hope I can afford these groceries. It's a bunch of groceries. And stepping forward there and just looking at them and said, you know, would you give me the privilege, the blessing of paying for your groceries today? And it would really be meaningful to me if you let me do that. And they always say, oh, you don't have to do that or that's not, not necessary. I know, but it'd be a great favor to me. And you just swipe your card. That's what you can do when you don't owe anybody anything. That's what you can do when you've been on a budget and you get out of debt and you build great relationships and you save and invest and you've learned how to give generously. This is what happens. And so we ask the question again, what could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if we got this part of our lives together? What could we do? We could do a lot. So may God grant his wisdom and remove us today from the spirit of pride or a spirit of poverty. Fear has to go. Jealousy has to go. All that nonsense has to go. And may God consume us with a spirit of gratitude for all he has done for us and all he means to us. Amen? Let's pause and pray. Lord, we thank you today for this important story, these words that lamp our feet and light our way. Deliver us from pride. Deliver us from a spirit of poverty that distorts and robs all of us of our true self and our God-given place in the world. Lord, so fill us with gratitude that our entire lives will be a reflection of our desire to worship you 
in every dimension of life. Let our gratitude be reflected in our generosity. Let it be reflected in our excellence. Let it be reflected in an abundant life that includes all your blessings. So, Lord, make us grateful, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?